With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Welcome back to another Buckeye Talk. Doug Maurice, Bill Landis, your Cleveland.com Ohio State coverage team, and we're going to slow it down a little bit this week here on Buckeye Talk, and we're going to talk politics for an hour. <laughs> Non-stop politics. Everyone just turned it off. It doesn't matter, though, because you already pressed play. Yeah, we got your hit for our fake advertiser doesn't exist. We're not doing that. We're talking football. Football's almost here. Um... So we have lots of things to do for Ohio State football. We continue to gather many things because we keep talking to different coaches and different players, but we want to get a little bit more into the season. This is not our season preview or season prediction podcast. We will get to that where we'll talk about uh, what we think Ohio State's record would be, their tough games, what could trip them up, will they make the playoff, that kind of thing. That's coming. But we're going to give you a taste of what we think about this season, and I think it'll be very revealing about what we think about this team because we're going to do over-unders. We got a couple from you guys. We came up with some ourselves. And it's it, we're going to tell you what we think because we're going to talk about JT Barrett touchdown passes and sacks and rushing yards and that kind of thing, and you'll get an idea of what we think this team is going to be like. Um, and then we'll put these on Cleveland.com and we'll let you guys vote. So you can always read us at cleveland.com. You can follow us on Twitter at BillLandis25, at Maurice. You can follow our colleague Tim Bielek at underscore T-I-M. Is that wrong? <laughs> it's Bielek, B-I-E-L-I-K, <laughs> underscore Tim. It's his fault. It's, it's, it's his fault. Change it. He could change it. We've change all it. had bad Twitter handles. He you think there's another it. Tim Bielek? There must be, unless he's just a jerk and did that on purpose. Um, we'll ask him when he's on. He's going to make yeah. his debut next week, right? All right. Yeah, we'll, we'll get his predictions. But we're going to do over-unders about the Ohio State football team. We went an hour and a half last week. What did we talk about for an hour and a half? Mm, the Winston box. <laughs> Listen, by the way, I don't think we ever put the photo on Twitter, did we? No, but some people saw it uh, in the video we did uh, oh, right. last week and had some very nice comments for my dapper blue shirt and my khaki shorts, and courtesy of the Winston box. You did look good. Um, Felt good. You got a smudge on your shorts already. Yeah, it's it's from my. I drive a car that's meant for someone who's much smaller than I am, so I have to squeeze myself under the steering wheel every time. I squeeze my leg under the steering wheel every time I get in, and sometimes that leaves a black smudge on my shorts. So I had these shorts for a day, and I ruined them already. But they were very comfortable, and I'm going to keep wearing them even though there's a black smudge on them. Because and you know what, another Winston box is coming. 
Next month, yeah, maybe the, I'll get a I'll get a uh, redo on the shorts. But it might be fall by by then. Might get some nice fall. Uh, I'm looking for some stuff like to wear to games, like yeah. a, a nice pair of khaki pants or something. So, all right, but we're not going to do Winston Box. They already had their chance. They liked one of our tweets, but they didn't throw an ad at us. We're not making money from Winston Box. This baby week, baby yeah. steps. One more time, Winston Box. Okay, okay. So we're going to get to the over unders. Um, so let's so let's get to the over unders. <laughs> Good segue. Let's get to the thing. Here's the thing. All right, Landis made a list. I just went to the eye doctor. I go to the eye doctor every year. Do you go to the eye doctor every year? I go like every two years. Yeah. So my pupils are dilated, and I can't read. So (laughs) I can't see anything. So Bill has to do all the reading. So he has a blurry sheet of yellow plate paper that I can't tell what it says, and he's going to give us our first over-under. And I don't know what these are, so I'll be making my decisions live here on Buckeye Talk. Okay, so some of these are, are ones that were sent in. Some are ones that, that we've made up, um, and we appreciate uh, everyone sending these questions in. First one, not Ohio State related, but I thought it was a funny question from G. Nilly. Over under on rants per podcast by Doug. He sets it at one. Oh. Which is a good number. That is a good number. Here's the thing. That's a rant. Oh, this <laughs> <laughs> You set me up. <laughs> When Ari was on the podcast and Ari would start saying things about how, like, the guy at Chipotle took too long to put my double meat on the tortilla, that would increase <laughs> the chances of me, of me ranting because about half my rants were directed at Ari's worldview. So I think, I think I might go slightly under. It might be more like 0.85 rants per podcast yeah. because my trigger isn't there. And you, 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 can piss me off a little bit, but not as much <laughs> yet. We'll see when Tim's on. Maybe he'll make me rant. I don't know. We'll have we'll to see. see. He's already annoyed us with his Twitter handle. So. Yeah. Okay. Real Seriously, f- what's with the underscore? Yeah, that's two. That's two rants. Okay, real Ohio State question. We'll go with um, a question from Douglas DeLillo. Loyal podcast listener. Hi, DeLillo. Uh, DeMario McCall touches per game. He says not. he's not sure what to set the number at, but... He seems to be an interesting topic of discussion in the offense. So I came up with a number, and I'll tell you what I base it on, and tell me if you think this makes sense. I looked at Dontre Wilson's touches per game, and I know that Dontre Wilson dealt with a lot of injuries in his, throughout his career, but I just went through and added up all the games he played. It was 38 games, and the touches he had in those games, the offensive touches, was 142. And I, I thought if there was a fair comparison for what Demario McCall might be in the offense this year, it's what Dontre Wilson was basically throughout his entire career, which was he was never the guy. He was always kind of the third or fourth or sometimes fifth option on offense. And McCall's going to be some part of it, but with Mike Weber and JT Barrett running the ball and J.K. Dobbins apparently being part of the mix too, and all the receivers, Paris Campbell, K.J. Hill, like McCall, I don't quite know what his role is. So Wilson's was 3.7 for his career. You think that is too high of a number to set McCall's touches per game? No, I, I think I think three and a half is a good is a good thing. <clears throat> I would I would if that's I think that's reasonable. I think well, I think you could also go two and a half. Yeah, but that might be a little low. Three. I don't. I don't do three. Because here's the thing. My comparison would be KJ Hill last year. I think KJ Hill had 18 catches last year. Yes, as the as the third H back behind I, Curtis Samuel and Dontre Wilson. I would contend the difference is that KJ Hill was never an option to run the ball out of the backfield, and Demario McCullers. But we don't know. 
So that's the hard thing. We don't know how much Demario McCall is going to run it because I think I'm I'm gathering steam on the J.K. Dobbins mm-hmm. idea uh, running the ball, and I'm still a little confused by what they talk about with Paris Campbell running it. Um, but like, are they really going to hand it to four different guys? That's the thing. I yeah. mean, as much as they worked Curtis Samuel in last year, Curtis Samuel was two people. He was the number one H back, and he was the co tailback. So nobody's going to be Curtis Samuel. But if JT, if J.K. Dobbins is going to run it, and if here and there Paris Campbell's going to run it, is Demario McCall going to run it too? Because J.T. Barrett also runs it. J.T. Barrett's going to hand the ball to four different people in the course of a normal game, and we're not talking blowouts. And some of these numbers, it's like, well, how much are they going to beat UNLV by? Because then maybe Demario McCall will have 11 touches that game. So yeah. I get that, and we have to factor that in. But that's not really the spirit of the question, I don't think. So I think in competitive games, and I was just looking at KJ Hill the other day. I think KJ Hill had 18. This sounds right. He had like 12 of the 18 in the three biggest blowouts. It's like yeah. he went nuts against Bowling Green and Nebraska and Maryland. And in the games that mattered, and he also was hurt a little bit for mm-hmm. like a month, so that's not exact representation. But he didn't do anything at the end of the year, really, against Northwestern and Michigan State and Penn State. And Michigan. He was not part of the offense. He had like one catch in those games. So I guess I would set it at three and a half, but I would go under. I think I'd go under two. Um, three three sounds about right to me. And I just I think we've kind of like arrived in a very interesting place with the Mario McCall where like last year everyone was like, hey guy's gonna be part of the plan. And I tended to agree because they were just lacking offensive playmakers outside of Curtis Samuel, and then in the spring J.K. Dobbins arrived, and Paris Campbell's a starting H-back, and K.J. Hill's a number two H-back, and all of a sudden it's like Demario McCall, who you thought was possibly the future of the H-back position, is now like option number six in terms of playmakers touching the ball, and I just it's 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 an interesting kind of I don't know if fall is the right word for McCall because it's not like he did anything wrong, but maybe it just speaks to the talent they're they're accumulating, but it's. The, the idea that Demario McCall might get less than two touches per game to me is is astonishing. Thinking about where we were less than a year ago, I mean that guy had 350 yards offense last year. I mean he did a little bit. He had yeah. the third most offensive yards of any true freshman under Urban Meyer, behind Curtis Samuel and uh, Dontre Wilson. So I thought I I thought Demario McCall was Curtis Samuel Jr. Mm-hmm. And that's what I was thinking of him as. And I thought it they would hand it to someone other than Mike Weber on a semi-regular basis. I am imagining someone else being some version of what Curtis Samuel was, which is a guy who gets a handoff in important parts of real games that isn't Mike Weber. And uh, I would have guessed in February that that guy would be Demario McCall. The way everyone is talking in camp, I am now guessing that person is J.K. Dobbins. Yeah. And now that J.K. that Demario McCall had been with the running backs, and now he's back with the H-backs at least part of the time, right? That's what they're talking about now. Yes. I, in my head, I think Demario McCall is better than K.J. Hill. More dynamic, more dangerous. Yeah. But he was just a running back. Now he's going back to the H-back room. And if they're going nuts over Paris Campbell, how much, you know, I, I think it's possible. I may, I compared him to K.J. Hill last year. You're comparing him to Dontre Wilson. Dontre Wilson was the number two H-back last year. K. 
KJ Hill was the number three H back. I think he could. Be, I think maybe somewhere in between what Dontre Wilson was and what KJ Hill was might be the right answer. So, so I think three point five is the correct over under because I think some people you could certainly talk yourself into four without much trouble. Yeah. Um, but I'm gonna I'm gonna talk myself into less than four and be happily wrong if they do it otherwise because the little flashes we saw of him. I still think of him as Curtis Samuel Jr. It's just how are the pieces going to fit together? Yeah, I agree with that. And I'm, I'm under as well. And I'll say this too. I think he'll probably be their punt returner. We don't know that for sure because we don't get to watch scrimmages and stuff like that. But if it's not him, I think maybe it'll be Kendall Sheffield. But punt returner is a way to get the ball into Demario McCall's hands. But that would not count. We're talking um, touches. Offensive touches. Per yes, game. from yeah. scrimmage. Right. Okay, so yeah. we're officially setting the Demario McCall touches line at three point five, which over a, a a thirteen game season, assuming they miss the Big Ten championship game, well, let's, let's call it probably a fourteen game season. Yeah, I don't think they'll do exactly like last year, which is get to the playoff without being in the Big Ten championship and then lose that first game. Okay, so fourteen that would be forty two. What was it? 42? 42. 42 would be three per game? 14 times three, right? Okay. Yeah. So if you're going over, you're thinking, you're you're like thinking... 50 plus. Oh, okay. Touches. Yeah, because that's the thing. It actually is 3.5. Because, yeah, it's not like it's only, it's not like the answer is three or four. Yeah. So 3.5 times is actually 49 then, right? 3.5 times 14? Yeah. 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 So you're going 50 touches for DeMario McCall? That's a lot of touches. All right, I'm under. Under. There's a lot of JT Barrett stuff. Underst- really? Understandably so. Listen, just as a little heads up to our loyal Buckeye Talk listeners, we got a lot of JT Barrett stuff coming next week. Our season preview is JT Barrett focused. And we are going to have a JT Barrett podcast next week as part of JT Barrett Week at Cleveland.com. Um, we got a lot of things brewing. We've done some really good season preview stuff in the past. Last year we did, is Ohio State the most indestructible team in sports? Really good. It was good. The year before we did Buck Dynasty, based off Duck Dynasty, and we put a beard on Joey Bosa. Um, People got mad about that. That they had a beard? No, that we like associated them with whatever that family is called. They like ducks, yeah. right? Yeah. Was it Scrooge McDuck? Is that who those people are? Scrooge McDuck yep. and uh, the nephews, yeah, Huey, Dewey, and Louie? Swim in a uh, pool of gold coins, yeah. So we did that. So we'd like to do a season preview and uh, and really get into it. We did So Buck Dynasty was like five, five stories about how they can keep this rolling and not just be a one-time national champion, but be what would pass for a dynasty in college football, which is a year after year after year playoff team, I think at this point is what yeah. you would call that. And I think they've been they've they're sixty one and six, so under Urban Meyer. So that was good. So this is JT Barrett focused. We're gonna have a I'm not gonna tell you anymore, but we have a bunch of things percolating. Let me just tell you this. If you've been reading any interesting quotes about other people on the Ohio State team, coaches or players saying things about JT Barrett, it's because they were answering questions we asked. And other outlets have been sprinkling those out there. But we gonna, are going to bring them all to you all together in a comprehensive package. And uh, we're going to have a JT podcast next week. So if we don't get to a bunch of JT Barrett over-unders this week, we can dabble. 
but we don't want to go nuts on JT because we're going to go nuts on JT next week. I have two for sure that I want to get to on JT, and I think if we just kept it at two, that'll be fine. Maybe, maybe three. We'll go, we'll, we'll <laughs> over, do... under of JT Barrett over unders on this podcast is 2.5. That's actually the number for this next over under. And I don't know how much, like, we could talk about this. This could be an entire podcast, and we're going to do a JT one next week. So we can just answer this quickly if we want to, and this will give you an idea of what we think JT Barrett will be like this season. Chris Young, over under JT Barrett's Heisman Trophy finish, 2.5. That's it. Who is that? Chris Young? Chris Young. What's the Twitter handle? uh, CY Believes. CY Believes, bringing it with that. That is a great question. And I think that is the exact right number. Yeah. But yeah. I have no hesitation. Under. 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 And this is always a thing, too. I'm always bothered. I think a lot oh. of people incorrectly say when you talk about numbers, high number or low number, right? I've been having this problem with our top 50. Yes. <laughs> I don't know. Yeah. So I think as, as the number improves, it's higher to me. Like one – is higher on a list than 50. It's yeah. not that 50 is a higher number. It's that one is a higher placement on the list. Right. So I'm going under 2.5, which means I'm thinking he finishes third or lower. Yeah. I'm not going under because 2 and 1 are numbers that are less than 2.5. How do you do it? Do you do it that way or the opposite way? I, I intend to do it that way, but I often confuse myself. <laughs> numbers be hard. Yeah. Um. <laughs> But I agree. I, I agree with you. Uh, if, the, if the number is two point five, I am also under meaning I am third or worse in the Heisman voting. Um, and I don't want to. I don't want to talk about it too much. But I just. I do think like, to win a Heisman Trophy as a quarterback, you have to do what Lamar Jackson did last year, which is score a million touchdowns, which I don't think JT Barrett is going to do. Um, yeah, or throw for four thousand yards, which guys like Sam Bradford was doing when he won the Heisman with Kevin Wilson. I don't think JT Barrett is going to do that. And I think he might run a little less than he's run in the past. So statistically speaking, I, I, even if he's on par with what he was in 2014, that that was good enough to finish fifth in the Heisman voting, and that was a very good season. And I don't know how much how capable he is of doing much more than that. If he is that, I think he's good, and Ohio State has a good season. But if he's that, he's not going to finish, I think, higher than maybe fourth in the Heisman voting. I mean, I, th- I think we probably even talked about this in these terms before. His path to the Heisman is the Troy Smith path to the Heisman, which is leader – Big play here and there, dual threat, but throw more than run for sure. Mm-hmm. Leader of the best team in the country. That's his path. I'm not sure the Troy Smith path exists like it did in 2006 because while JT Barrett is doing that and being a leader who puts up good numbers but not crazy numbers for a very good team, someone else has put up 5,000 yards. Yeah. And so I think he could, I think even if he is that, even if he is Troy Smith 11 years later, I'm not sure that's good enough yeah. these days with what offenses do now. If you go back and look at the stats, what other offenses were doing while Troy Smith was doing that in 2006, it's a different world um, the way teams, a lot of teams play these days. So someone is going to put up monstrous numbers, and I think to even put himself in that position, everything has to go right for both the team and JT Barrett. And I think 
there are too many things where it goes right for him, but they have a loss you don't see coming, or it goes right for the team, and they are number one and undefeated, but he's been good, not great, and they're led by their defense, and Mike Weber has a good year, and it's not like JT Barrett is the sure. I mean, again, a year ago, he was not their Heisman candidate. He was not. As you identified, like in week two. When did you write that story? Uh, I think I wrote it, I'm trying to remember the schedule, like week three maybe? Curtis Samuel was their Heisman candidate last yeah. year, and but but no one caught on to that soon enough for it to be a thing because too many people nationally thought JT Barrett was the Heisman candidate. He wasn't. Did you see the Michigan game? Did you see the play that Curtis Samuel made, the two plays he made in double overtime? That's the Heisman candidate. Yeah. Did you see what happened in the Fiesta Bowl? That quarterback was not the Heisman candidate. So... You know, certainly when you look at this team, there's nobody else you could pick out as a Heisman candidate. Mike Weber's not a Heisman candidate. Paris Campbell's no. not a Heisman candidate. Johnny Dixon and Terry McLaurin and Ben Victor aren't Heisman candidates. So clearly JT Barrett's the Heisman candidate on this team. Um, but I think it's a tough, tough road uh, for him to win it just because even if they're undefeated and really good and he has a good year, the numbers are going to be tough. Agreed. So 2.5. Heisman finish for JT were both under. So if you're over, again, if you're if you're over it, you think he's going to finish first or second. Right. Okay, let's do a defense one. This was from, just says Goon. His name on Twitter is Goon. Just at, straight up Goon? Yeah, Goon. At GTE812. Um, so he asked, over under defensive line sacks and individual sacks. Um, he didn't give a number. But I went back and looked at the stats from last year. Oh, so, I so, love when you go back and look at the stats. So as a defense, and it's not just a defensive line. Maybe I should have done more math. So my bad. But as a defense last year, they had 28 sacks. Um, Which really, when you think about it, does not sound like that many. It's not that many. And that was like the talk of the spring, I feel like, at least defensively, was we have all this talent back on the defensive line. Our defense is going to be likely very good, one of the best in the country. And it was last year. And we didn't get to the quarterback enough. Um, so that was a point of emphasis for Larry Johnson, for sure, in the spring, and I'm sure that's carried over. So should we set the over-under at higher than what it was last year? Well, but how many of those were linebacker sacks? I don't know, man. I forgot to look it up. I can't do it because I can't. My eyeballs aren't functioning. I don't know. But I, I'm sure. But You talk, I, I look it up. So if it's 28, I mean, I'm guessing the defensive line's probably 23, 22. I mean, probably Baker has a couple, right? Yeah. They don't blitz a ton, so it's not like there's going to be a bunch of safety and cornerback ones. But I think I would say, so I've, if you gave the five stars, and this is simplistic and this is not how it's really going to go, but if you gave the five stars of the defensive line, who are, just to double check, Tyquan Lewis, Sam Hubbard, Jalen Holmes, Nick Bolsa, Bolsa, Nick Bosa, and Draymond Jones. Give each of them five that's 25, and then I'll throw you a bone on a blowout Chase Young sack where Bill's favorite freshman defensive end gets in the game and gets everybody going crazy with one sack. That's I would set it at 26, and Bill's doing math to check otherwise. But here's the problem. Their defensive line is so good, the game plan for everybody is going to be get rid of the ball, get rid of the ball, get rid of the ball. Nobody is going to think they can block them. Now, Oklahoma might. Oklahoma has a good offensive line. Uh, Oklahoma has Orlando Brown, who's one of the best offensive linemen in the country. 
They might take a shot at it, but then Baker Mayfield runs around like a crazy person and is going to be able to evade some sacks. He'll also run himself into some sacks. But everybody else, most teams in the Big Ten by now are playing some version of a spread, and especially when they play Ohio State in a fast, aggressive defense like this. They know that the corners are going to be up and pressing them, and they know that the pass rush is coming. The way you beat that is either by running inside and popping them up the middle. You can't run outside. You cannot run outside on the Ohio State defense, opposing offensive coordinators. Write that down. You cannot run wide on them. They swarm you like velociraptors. Don't run wide. You have to run up the middle and try to gash him between the tackles. You have to uh, do, like, uh, counters, right? Whatever, like the throwbacks to the tight end. Love the throwback. Um, like a, like the screens. Not a straight-up screen, but a lot of, like, screen where you fake one, one way and throw the other. Use their aggression against them. Or you have to hit quick stuff. You have to hit three-step drops, quick slants off the line, where you get you have a receiver who can beat coverage immediately off the line, get free, and you hit him in stride. That's all you can do, and none of that is conducive to setting up the opportunity for sacks. Right. So, how many defensive line sacks were there last year? Twenty-one. Okay. Seven. So there were seven by linebackers and safeties, and then the rest were by the defensive line. Is twenty-six a decent number? <clears throat> I mean, it, we're giving them some credit for being better, and then we're anticipating them playing probably at least one more game. Which, again, I mean, like, I'm not sure. I'm not. I don't think it's faulty to sort of when you gauge things like this, assume they're going to be in the Big Ten championship game and play it, one, and then play a bowl game. Yeah. And maybe play two postseason games if they get to the national championship right. game. But I'm thinking of 14 games when I think of this stuff. Yeah, I think 26 is a good number. All right, so it's set at 26. You're going over or under? Under. <laughs> no, you know what? No, that, no, that maybe we're high if we – because no, I would – I'll go over. I'll go over. Defensive line sacks, 26. I'll go over. How? What's the key to the over? I mean, because here's the question. Like, if somebody has – is there – does one of these guys have in them – and again, this is based on playing time, and this is based on the opposing offenses giving them the chance. Is there a 10-12 sack year for one of these guys out there? I think Joey Bosa had 13 and a half the one year. Is that right? Yeah. Or 13? Mm-hmm. Could Nick Bosa or Tyquan Lewis or Sam Hubbard or Jalen Holmes get to that? I think Draymond Jones up the middle could get to like six or seven, but I just I think- – yeah, I don't know. I, I don't know. That was actually another question I had, and it wasn't quite an over-under. It was just, do you think that someone's going to have double-digit sacks? Um, but that doesn't have to happen for them to get the over. If the over-under is 26, and I think they'll go higher. Um, Jalen Holmes had two last year, which is low. I think maybe you could pencil him in for one or two more. Draymond Jones is a good name to bring up as an interior pass rusher. He had none last year. So if he has one or two, that bumps it up. Um, I think Nick Bosa will be a little better. He had five last year. Sam Hubbard had three and a half. So we're just a bunch of guys who are really talented defensive ends who like couldn't quite get home last year against quarterbacks. And if the collective each has one or two more than they had last year, then they're going to get the, they're going to hit that over under hit that over pretty easily. Um, so that's where my head's at picking the, picking the over. I actually think in the end it's not going to be that difficult for them to get it. Maybe twenty six should be higher. Uh, no, I'm comfortable at twenty six because I'm I'm going under. I'm going to go twenty. Like I'm going to go more like twenty-five. That that 
it's just going to be one of those where nobody holds on to the ball. Because the idea is, a lot of this is, well, you can't double-team anybody because you do... They know that. Yeah. They know everybody playing them knows that. Well, who are you gonna double team? All right, who's on the field? All right, well, uh, it's third down and nine, so they're all on the field. They kept Draymond on the field. They brought in uh, Jalen Holmes and slid him inside. Bosa and Lewis are at end, and I don't know what Sam Hubbard is doing, but he's roaming around. All five of them are out there. What's your What's your call on third and seven? I'm not, whatever it is, it's get the hell rid of the ball Yeah. before you get eaten. So I just don't – I think they I think they have a chance to dominate games without getting many sacks. Now, I, don't, I mean, and again, tracking hurries and all that stuff is far more difficult. They're going to hurry the heck out of people. Yeah. Well, that's a – I, I wrote about this in the spring now, remembering as, as we talk about it. And there's another thing at play, which is the the thing that Greg Schiano brought, which is that matching the hand deal with the quarterback. If you remember Rayquan McMillan sticking his hand in Wilton Spate's face and, and matching his throwing hand, tipping a ball, and Malik Hooker picked it off and scored a touchdown. That is something that they didn't do two years ago, and Schiano brought it here. And that is, like, the, the instinct is no longer to hit the guy. It's to hit the ball, if that makes sense. If you're, if you're a pass rusher and you're a step away from the quarterback – I think traditionally guys will try to just knock his head off, and now Ohio State defensive linemen are sticking their right or left hand up depending on the hand of the quarterback and trying to match his hand and knock the ball out. So that is going to lead to fewer sacks as well. It probably overall leads to a better defense probably and, and more interceptions and touchdowns like we saw last year, but could lead to fewer than 26 sacks or the 21 they had last year. Because the one thing, I think the way you get sacks a lot of time is the other team thinks they can block you, mm-hmm. and so they don't plan for it like – when Vernon Golston had that big game against Michigan that is seared into everyone's memories in 2007, that's because Michigan had Jake Long blocking Vernon Golston. And they were like, oh, we can block Vernon Golston. We have the guy who's going to be the number one pick in the draft. And then it was like, oh, no, not every play at least. So then Vernon Golston gets sacked. So that's – I don't – I just don't think the opportunity – I think there's going to be a lot of like frustrated like, oh, man, I can't believe we we didn't get the, the stats. Um but you affected the game, which is what matters in the end. And Sam Hubbard even said that, um, talking to him this preseason, that you know I don't I don't know that any of us are going to have crazy sack numbers because um, you know I, if if we're going to get to a question about will someone have double digit sacks, my instinct would be no because the rotation um, and because the way other teams are going to play. But what they are going to do is affect the game. I also say no to double digit sacks. Next over under, let's. Do, what are the Mike Weber rushing yards? No one, it wasn't a question that was asked to us, but I think it's something we should do. Yeah, you okay. made it up. So last year, Weber rushed for 1,096 yards. And I was trying to think of what the number could be for this year. And the one I picked out that I, is probably too high, but 1,485 Woo! would put him in the top 10. For all for single season rushing at Ohio State, fourteen eighty five would make him number ten. Um, is that too high? Well, I mean, I was thinking fourteen hundred because if they play fourteen games, that's a hundred a game. Yeah. Um, and I think one of these again, some of them. I mean, we could do. Will he ever? Like, we could set the over under at a hundred rushing yards per game, and do that if we wanted yeah. to. But I think you're in range. I think you're in range because fourteen eighty five is a is a hundred per game plus yeah plus. Two games where you rush for 140. Yeah. 
So, um, what do you want to set it at? Uh, let's set it at 1485. Let's, yeah, because then you're will just asking, will Mike have a top 10 rushing season in the history of Ohio State? Okay. I say no. <laughs> <laughs> then it's too high, because I also say no. I don't know. It's just an interesting. I don't know. We can't. Keep, we can't keep playing that game, though. Um, would you say? What would you say if it was? If it was a hundred yards per game, what would you say for the over under? Uh, I would say yeah. I would say over for a hundred yards per game. All right, let's set it at that then, because that'll split us. Okay, so we're, so it's not fourteen eighty five. It's one like Weber, I. I, I don't mean to to poop on your fourteen eighty five. No, it's okay because it's a good number, and I like your reasoning, but. If it, if it's a little, if it's a quick no from you, it's not a quick no. You well, you said it quickly. Well, because I had time to think about it. <laughs> You've been thinking about yeah. it for an hour while I was getting my pupils yeah. dilated. Um, okay, we'll make it 100 rushing yards per game, and I will go over. I, I it's, he was not that last year. What was it? What did I say? It was 1092 in yeah. 13 games, um, or 1096 in 13 games. So obviously, it's not 100 rushing yards per game. Uh. I don't think their like I think their schedule is kind of crappy, with the exception of a handful of games, obviously. But I just think he'll he'll do enough against like UNLV and Army and maybe even Indiana that even if he rushes for seventy five yards against Michigan at the end of the year, that he will end up having rushed for a hundred yards per game. So that would put, I mean that's fourteen hundred yards we're talking about, and that's a pretty good season. Um, but I think just the, with the the teams they play and and. The progress the offensive line has made and, and his apparent gains in speed, which you, you did a post the other day on their 40 times, and Mike Weber's running sub 4-4 apparently, which I don't think is totally true, but I don't think they would fudge the numbers that greatly to be... He's still like whatever he was, 6th or 7th on this team, which is the yeah. gauge. It's like, we won't go by raw numbers, but on a fast team... He's, he's faster than some other fast guys, and he's a big guy too. Yeah, so if that, I'll take that as a sign that he has more breakaway speed than he has last year, which means I don't know how many 50 or maybe I don't know if he had any 50-yard runs last year, but if he's going to break a couple 20, 30, 40-yarders next year, I think he averages 100 yards per game. And it's one of these things we're talking so much about the passing game this preseason. If the passing game's better, he'll run better. Yeah. Because teams won't just be saying, well, we don't have to worry about that. Half the offense didn't function in the second half of last season. From the Penn State game on, it was a non-functional passing offense. Defenses were not worried about Ohio State throwing the ball. The only time they had any success throwing the ball was on broken plays, Mm -hmm. which you can't plan for anyway. But line up and defend, here we go. All they were worried about was the run game with JT Barrett and Mike Weber. I might might be talking myself out of this. Was was your thinking too many guys? Too many ball carriers for him to get Well, I was thinking a combination of if they throw it more, JT Barrett is still a big runner. And I this is made up in my head. They have not said this. I am still wondering if they go something like two series of Weber, one series of Dobbins. Two series of Weber, one series of Dobbins. To keep Mike Weber fresh because he is a little bit of a bigger guy. He's not Ezekiel Elliott. He doesn't need – I don't think this offense will function best if he gets 28 carries a game. I don't think he will function or they will function at peak efficiency. So I don't think that's what it is. I think it's him in the mix with all these other things. But if they do throw it more successfully, that might be fewer chances for him. But it will make life easier if defenses can't stack the box. So – 
I mean, I guess the question is, it's one of those things. If you're asking, are you going to average 100 yards per game? If you rip off 219 yards against Army, you're in good shape. Yeah. Will he do that? I don't know. I don't know. And like when Urban Meyer says, so I didn't read your thing yet today. Don't be mad. I'm sorry. You guys reading Daily Nugs? You think they're reading Daily Nugs? They seem to be reading Daily Nugs, yeah. So we're dropping the Daily Nugs. It's like our little breakdown analysis of a couple different little tidbits, three to six tidbits each day. Every day. Maybe not on, maybe not every weekend day. Every weekday. So you dropped some nugs about your lead was about Urban Meyer talking the quarterback run game. What was your conclusion? He talked about that Monday and talked about how it's not really what they want to do. I believe he called it their get-out-of-jail-free card, yes. which JT Barrett has been in the run game since the minute he stepped on campus. Do you think they will run JT Barrett less this year? Because that, to me, factors into this Mike Weber question, too. I do think they're going to run him less, and I, I think they from what I could get from Kevin Wilson, I asked Kevin Wilson the question about a month ago, and then asked a very timely follow-up to Urban Meyer a month later. Um, so it was kind of broken up into two separate stories. But the gist I got from Kevin Wilson is that the way he views the quarterback run game, uh, he views like bubble screens and swing passes and just short, quick throws as extensions of the quarterback run game. And the, and the way I took that was, Maybe last year, if JT Barrett runs a read option and he decides to pull the ball because he reads the end is crashing down on the running back, so he pulls the ball, normally he would just take that and run it himself because he's very good at it. He's good at making the read, and he's good getting four to five yards on on that play most of the time. I think now in Kevin Wilson's offense, when JT Barrett pulls the ball, he'll have the option to run, but he'll also have these relief valves, if you want to call them that. He'll have options to throw, too. Really? That's new. Yeah, it's like I, th- I think it. I think it's the touch that Kevin Wilson's going to put on the offense and the, the RPO stuff, the run pass option. I'm not going to act like I'm an expert in it. Um, this is just kind of what I got from from talking to Kevin Wilson. That I think that they're going to have the quarterback option always. That's not going to leave the offense because it's too much of a weapon for Ohio State. But when JT pulls that ball, instead of having one option left of him just running, he'll have I can run, I can throw the ball to Paris Campbell in the flat. Um, I can throw a quick hitch to a tight end. Like there, there will be passing options for JT out of that, which I think will diminish his carries. Not greatly, but he had 205 last year. I think stuff like that might take away 10 to 15 carries on the season alone. And then just in general, the offense will be better so that their best play is not JT Barrett running up the middle. Urban Meyer was also talking about Kevin Wilson and having uh, Tevin Coleman and Jordan Howard. Did he have them together, though? It wasn't that. No. It was Tevin Coleman and somebody else. I get, him, I get him all confused. So Divine Redding played with both Tevin Coleman and Jordan Howard. He was like the number two to each of them, right? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. But they did use a second tailback, right? Yeah. Like, does the Kevin and we're all we're the whole for six months we've been trying to gauge how much Kevin Wilson's influence will change this part of the play calling, this part of the personnel, that kind of thing. Do you think they're any more likely to use J.K. Dobbins as an actual number two back just because at times Kevin Wilson at Indiana has seemed to use two tailbacks? Is that like a philosophical thing, or did he just do that because he had that? I think he just did it because he had them. He had, he had, he's had two instances of two, run, of two running backs running for 1,000 yards in the same season. It's not like it happens every year, and, and certainly he's had workhorse running backs. Um, throughout Tevin Coleman in that year, he had to run the ball close to 300 times. Um, and he ran for over 2000 yards. So it's not like a philosophical, Kevin Wilson would prefer, I think to have two or three guys, but he's done a lot without having that in the past. 
But if he has him, and it, it seems to me like he thinks J.K. Dobbins is a guy, and then all the stuff we talked about earlier with McCall might get some touches, Paris Campbell might get some touches. Um, yeah, I think you could see it's not like a two running back system, but I think you will see more than you've seen in the past multiple ball carriers out of the out, out of the backfield outside of the starting tailback, which then means slightly lowering the chance of Mike Weber rushing for 100 yards per game. Right. All right, I'm going under, but I'm I'm going under like I'm going under like 14 game season, 1290 yards or something. Like I'm not going under like Mike Weber doesn't have a solid year. I'm going under. Um, they end up running JT Barrett. They can't get away from it. Listen, here's the deal. This is some straight talk right here. Urban Meyer is addicted to JT Barrett as a runner. Mm-hmm. You know why? He's good at it. It works. Yeah. He's good at it, and it works. And here's the thing. When you have... Do you guys play Monopoly? Do you ever play Monopoly? Landers? It takes too long, man. What? Yeah, it takes like nine hours. You millennials and your attention spans. Yeah. I like sitting down and playing like a good four-hour board game. When you have a get-out-of-jail-free card, <laughs> do you know what you do with it? You play it. You don't sit there and say, well, I don't want to use the card. Let me try and roll doubles nine more times. You play the card because it gets you out of jail. So here's the, here's the world. I would like to pretend that the Ohio State offense is going to be a mean, efficient machine from the get-go, from the jump against the Hoosiers. Here's a world I still think is possible. Ready? Mm-hmm. First down, handoff to Mike Weber, three yards. Second and seven, incomplete. What do you do on third down? QB draw, baby. Okay, you've seen it, people. (laughs) You've lived in that world. That is not going to vanish. It's not like that, that game plan has been eradicated by the presence of Kevin Wilson. That's still going to happen sometimes, right? Yeah, yeah. Okay, so... I, I just think there are going to be times with Mike Weber. I think there are going to be times where it's like things are going fine. It's 20 to 7 at the half. Ohio State's playing not great, but good enough. They're in easy position to win. And at halftime, Mike Weber has like eight carries for 31 yards. And it's not like people would be freaking out and saying, oh my God, they forgot Mike Weber. Be like, it's fine. Like, they're, the offense, they punted, they had to punt a couple times. They had a big. Here's the other thing I'm factoring into Mike Weber. You know what takes away the chances for a running back? 80 yard touchdown passes. I mean, it, it didn't for Zeke Elliott. He also just averaged nine yards carry. Yeah. So I guess that's the difference. But it is, it's, it's, uh, if the downfield passing game, it's like, oh, they didn't complete enough 50 yard passes. Well, that means that there was a lot of, you had to gain yards other ways. If you're throwing it 50 yards, then that's a big chunk that Mike Weber can't get himself. I'm comfortable with my under. So you are under 100 yards per game. I'm under 100 yards per game. But I'm thinking he ends up averaging like 90 yards per game. But I think 100 is a bit of a stretch with all the things we just talked about. I'm over uh, but leaking confidence as we speak. (laughs) You got him for like in a 14-game season, you got him like for 1,401. Yeah, yeah. Just over. Just over. We did these a few years ago, and I had a Jordan Hall one. This is like so long ago. I think it was imaginary in my head. But I think it literally came down to – might have been in 2011 with Jordan Hall. I think it like came down to like literally like the last carry of the season. It was like I said, he's under 300 yards, and like he, he like 
ended with 297 yards. But that's the great thing about over-unders. We want you guys to get invested in the over-unders. Again, you're going to be able to go to cleveland.com, vote on these, and then at the end of the year we'll see who was right and who was wrong, and probably the person who was wrong will be me. I'm going to be wrong on Mike Weber. Speaking of Jordan Hall, we got a question from Jordan Steele. Over-under special teams touchdowns, which has been a bit of a point of contention, I think, for the last... What, seven years. Um, he sets it at three. Woo! High. How many did they have last year? None. Mr. Factual Guy? None? None. Did they have any last year? I don't think. They haven't run a punt back they since haven't Jalen Marshall. They right? haven't returned a punt for a touchdown since Jalen Marshall, Marshall in 2014 and have not returned a kick for a touchdown since Jordan Hall in 2010. And like Raekwon fell on that uh, blocked punt when he was a freshman, I think, in Oh, 2014. yeah, 2014. But, like, when Urban Meyer got here, it was like, oh, they, Urban Meyer's team's blocked nine punts a game. Yeah. Not really a thing. I no. don't even go after it anymore. They keep the defense on the field half the time and play punt safe. They don't even yeah. go after it that hard. Right. I think they they have confidence in, like, block it up. I think they, 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 have, they have punted on the punt return game. They don't. They fair catch it. They put Curtis Samuel back there and tell him to fair catch it half the time. So they haven't had a reliable guy. Like even, How is that possible at a team like at a place like Ohio State, where you have a fourteen guys running sub four fours? They can't find a punt returner who can scare teams. I think there are plenty. There are plenty of guys who can scare teams once they have the ball in their hand. The problem was keeping the ball in their hand. Jalen Marshall scared Ohio State. Yeah, Jalen Marshall was no Ted Ginn Jr., but Jalen Marshall. Was fun. Back I, there. Love, I love the way. Yeah, because he, he he always he always uh, fair caught balls that he should have returned, and then tried to return balls that he should have. Yeah, fair caught. It's like oh, is this this is like a a thirty eight yard punt that I have to come sprinting forward at hundred miles an yeah. hour. And there's nine guys surrounding me. Let me run that back. Yeah, but I think that might have been the one he scored a touchdown on. The yeah, but that makes it exciting. But three is crazy high. I would set the over under at, I mean, maybe one. And then you're going to score one or none. Set it at 1.5. 1.5? You, you win on two. The over is two. You win on two. I'm going under, but I, I do think Paris Campbell's going to return one this year, a kick return for a touchdown. All right. I'll go over. I'll go over that based on a legit one, like a return, one return, and one goofy one. Maybe they'll beat Penn State. On a blocked field goal that's returned for a touchdown. Yeah, like that kind of thing. Yeah, it's about time they block. I'm now now I got a question for Urban for next week. Herbs, what's up with the punt block? I he would know. actually. Do you know what he would do with that answer? Talk for be fifteen minutes about tremendous. it. Tremendous. <laughs> be tremendous. You've got to pick your question so carefully with Urban Meyer, though, because you have to balance between the actual gathering of information. You have to balance between like interesting philosophical questions about football in general. You've got to balance between like his sort of view on how the team is functioning. And then he'll go back in the Wayback Machine if you want him to. He'll also talk recruiting if you want him to. If you can just get him like in the right – if you can hit the right zone, he could probably give you a PowerPoint presentation about the pros and cons of trying to block a punt and his evolving philosophy of the punt block. And and love 
every minute of it. Like sometimes when we say like, "Hey, Urban, like uh, who's going to be the starting right guard?" And he's like, "I don't know. I don't know. Too don't early know. to tell. I don't know." Yeah. It's like Urban, talk about your evolving philosophy of the punt block. He's like, "Hold my beer." <laughs> <laughs> Is that how you use that? That's yeah, a, that was that's good. A meme, yeah, right? that was good. That's a it's a put the brace Harper call a meme. Yeah. yeah. Um, okay, so I have two. You, do you have any you want to get to? Because I have two more. You know what I want to get to first? Hmm. The Cleveland Food Bank. Oh. And you know what I want to do? Hmm. Wing a Cleveland Food Bank ad off the top of my head. Go for it, man. The Cleveland Food Bank is an important part of Northeast Ohio. Listen, they help people and they turn your money into food for people in need. That is legit. That is like direct stuff, like direct translation of charity, I think is a big deal. That sometimes you write a check, um, and charities are great, listen, but sometimes they're so big, you wonder like, where's my money going, right? Mm -hmm. This is direct help. A dollar buys four meals for people in need in Northeast Ohio, and you can give it as a gift. They'll send you an e-card if you want to do that. You can just straight up dig in your wallet and decide, I'm going to help some people today. Um, it makes you feel good. It makes them feel good. And the thing is, you can feel good about your gift because uh, the website, is it Charity Navigator? Charity Navigator. Four stars. Mm -hmm. Like they, it, it matters. This kind of thing matters because it's important to help people in need, but it's reassuring to know that you're actually helping. And with the Greater Cleveland Food Bank, you can be guaranteed that you are actually helping people who are hungry, who need your help, and who appreciate your help. So go ahead, go to greatercleavelandfoodbank.org and give today. All right, what do you got now? Oh, that was good. That was um, my little I'm, in, I'm insecure about my podcasting abilities is what I, is what I have. Um, we'll do JT last. We'll do a defensive one. Now, defensive touchdowns. This is not a question that we were asked. This is one I made up. Good one. They scored seven last year. Crazy. Crazy high number. Okay, hold on a second. Do you have the who scored them? God. It's like you look up wait, ten wait, wait, things wait, wait. and I say I think, look up I think 11. I might remember it off the top of my head. Woo! Uh, Malik Hooker had three. Okay. Um, Jerome Baker had one. Marshawn Lattimore had one. Uh, Damon Webb had one. And Rajay Burns had one. Rajay Burns against Bowling Green. Yeah. All right, so we know it's Jerome Baker, touchdown maker. Yeah. But it was also Malik Hooker, touchdown cooker, and he's gone. <laughs> that man is out the door. Did you see this, by the way? We probably should put this on our site if you haven't seen it. It was a little flip video of his brother at practice, Marcus Hooker, the Ohio State commit. At practice in Western Pennsylvania. I did not see this. It was like from his coach or somebody around his team. They were like doing a punt drill or something. And all you see is the camera on him. And all you see is a football sort of fly in to the frame. And he's running. And he reaches back behind him with one hand, right-handed, and just plucks it out of the air like nothing. And the, like, the captain's like, by the way, that was a punt. <laughs> <laughs> it looked like it was a ball that someone threw to him from like eight feet away. It was like a punt from like 40 yards away. He caught it one-handed behind him. Oh, I didn't see that. So there is something about the hookers that they snag footballs and know what to do. And so 
go ahead and talk about what we know about their philosophy of the return as a defense, but there's some individual talent there that's, that made it happen. It's not, not here anymore. So they, have, they talked about it a lot last year. They have a play, and it's just called sideline return, and it's nothing complicated. It's just you catch the ball, you run to the nearest sideline, and everyone else hits, like another, hits a guy in the other jersey. Um, but look for it. When you see a guy pick the ball off, and I would – I can't remember all of them, but like Jerome Baker, for instance, his interception against Oklahoma, we picked off Baker Mayfield. He picked that ball off in the middle of the field and immediately ran to the left sideline and just ran straight down the sideline untouched for a touchdown. Um, so that's their play. That's the get, catch the ball, run to the nearest sideline. And there were times last year where guys picked it off and they didn't do that. And like Luke Fickle was actually kind of mad about it. And he wasn't like steaming, but they have a play. Like they have something, a, a philosophy that they want to employ or deploy when they are when they intercept the ball on defense and it's run to the nearest sideline. A couple times last year, guys picked the ball off in the middle of the field and tried to zigzag through the middle and didn't score when they could have. So that's the philosophy. Um, they're not scoring seven this year. So Hooker's an unbelievable individual defender. Marshawn Lattimore is an unbelievable guy with the ball in his hands once he gets it. Baker, we know, is that way. Baker's back. Who are the other guys that you think are ball-in-their-hand, super-dangerous defenders on this team that are real threats? We know the scheme. Who are the threats who can do it? Guys who are going to be on the field this year. Denzel Ward, for sure. Denzel Ward, um, for people listening from Northeast Ohio, if you remember a few years ago watching Denzel Ward play at Nordonia, he was a defensive back, obviously, but he was also a kick returner and he was a wide receiver. And they handed him the ball some, too, because he is a legitimate 4-3-40 track speed kind of guy. Um, faster, I think, than all those guys you just mentioned, Walker, Lattimore, Baker. Um, so he would be number one on the list, I think. I would even maybe – I wouldn't put him ahead of Baker because we've seen Baker do it and we haven't really seen Ward do it. But if at the end of this year we're like, oh, the most dangerous guy in the defense in terms of scoring once he gets the ball with Denzel Ward, that's not close. Because Baker still – when Baker gets the ball, he just flips it to running back mode, right? Right, right. And he could have – he could play running back for Ohio State if he wanted to um, or if they wanted him to. And then the Outside second, that, the second fastest guy on the team from that board Sheffield? is the guy who's going to be the other corner at least part of the time, Kendall yeah. Sheffield. And they've, Urban Meyer has talked about his elite speed. Now, we don't know. We have not seen him. We don't really have a lot of evidence in front of us, but he's fast. We don't, but he's fast, and he is. Uh, and I think I pulled this stat out before on the podcast. He is the only player on the roster who has returned a kick for a touchdown in a college game. He's a ret- he was a return man at Bling College. He was a return man in high school, so he is also not just fast, but knows what to do when the ball's in his hands. So they got some options. All right. So you think seven's too high? What do you want to set the over under at? Uh, like four. I think four is a good number, and we won't let you wiggle. We'll let you push on four because I yeah. think I think if you said straight up, how many will they have? A lot of people take. I'm a four. Yeah, I'll say over. And I came like I convinced myself when talking about Denzel Ward to Kendall Sheffield. I think they can get the five. So I'll put something over under at four, and I'll say over. And a lot of it here. Here's one thing that is going to hurt it a little bit because they can run back fumbles too. Mm-hmm. But they're playing a triple option team. That's not going to throw it in Army. I think Army at some point will have to throw it. And one of the six passes they throw will be intercepted and returned for a touchdown. Yeah, I think so. Like third and seventeen, and Army's just like, okay, we can't run a dive on this play. Let's chuck it up in the air. And there's Jerome Baker running into the end zone. <laughs> All right, I'm going to go under. I'll go under four because seven is extraordinary. And Hooker, like, if so Hooker is Hooker and nobody is Hooker. 
Take Hooker away, and they had four last year. Mm-hmm. So if a lot of other things are similar, I think you can throw Sheffield and Ward in there the way Lattimore and Conley and Ward were at corner last year. Baker's Baker. You have the potential for a sack, a strip sack and a fumble, and maybe a guy scoops it. Um, but I'm going to go under because I think four is the most logical number, and I'll just scoot a hair under on, on the other thing, too. Maybe the Ohio State offense will be good enough. The defense won't be on the field so much. Or they'll be so good and score so quickly that the defense will be on the field even more this year. Urban, is it possible that your offense could be too good this year? People are saying that. That's a legitimate concern with people when, like, the tempo has been the big word. And I think the thing that makes people the most nervous about the word tempo is scoring too or getting off the field too quickly on offense and leaving your defense out to dry a little bit. But you know what you don't have to worry about with tempo is when your second team defense is as good as your first team defense. Right. People point to Oregon like Oregon's defense was terrible and that's true it was, but they also didn't have the players that Ohio State had. So legit, okay, so in the secondary you had if you had Chef you had uh Sheffield, Ward, Webb, and Smith out there. Mm-hmm. And now oh my god, we scored too fast. So now you put Arnett Okuda, Pryor at the true freshman Isaiah Pryor backup safety to Webb is a little iffy, but Jordan Fuller. Yeah. Three of the four spots are pretty good to go. Two of the four spots, then you're putting some freshmen out there. Linebackers, you'd put your second team linebackers out there, your young, hungry guys who've been dying for a chance to play. You put Keandre Jones, Malik Harrison, and Justin Hilliard out there and tell them to go get the ball. Mm-hmm. And the defensive line. Two of your ends are, are co-starters anyway, so you put the other two ends out there who weren't out there the time before, and you're going to be rotating eight tackles, 14 tackles or whatever. I don't know. Mm-hmm. Draymond Jones not being on the field would be a loss, but, I mean, the other nine tackles that are going to play are all the same to me at the moment until somebody proves otherwise. So it's like, all right, Tracy Sprinkle is in. Well, now we're putting Devon Hamilton and Robert Landers in, and we're fine. So that was, that was that might be the antidote God, that feels like another question. Urban, <laughs> the fact that your second-team defense is better than any other defense in the Big Ten, does that help you guys run tempo more when you might score a touchdown in 14 seconds? <laughs> too many good players on defense makes up for the fact that your offense is too good? Why, having too many good players will spell doom for the Buckeyes. Um, all right, I have a question to ask before we get to the last over-under. Okay. Brought up. I can't read his name. I'll find like, it. Still, my eyeballs still aren't functioning. It was uh, it was Sam Faulkner. All right, Sam Faulkner. Sam Faulkner's my spirit animal. He asked me a Qdoba question. I literally ate at Qdoba last night. And I hadn't eaten at Qdoba in six months. And we ate there last night. Why is it when we talk fast, casual Mexican, it's automatically Chipotle? And I think part of it is because we cover... A college team, we're around college kids, and the college kids, I gotta tell you, they are all in on the Chipotle. Yeah. Cardell Jones never in his life tweeted about Qdoba. Sam makes a point. What's Sam? Sam went deep on why is Qdoba, why does it not get the respect that Chipotle gets when in fact his argument for Qdoba is uh, free guac, free queso, bigger portions, etc. Everything is the same, but 15% better. And I'll tell you what. I think you can get a quesadilla at Chipotle. You just tell them to make a quesadilla. There's not a quesadilla on the menu. And I am not one of these go-off-the-menu guys and feel good about it. Mm-hmm. I get antsy. Well, how much is the quesadilla? Well, what does it include? Well, what's the deal? How big is it? There's a, there's a quesadilla on the menu at Qdoba. So you can get a burrito... 
like at Chipotle, all you get is burrito, burrito bowl, or the tacos, right? Or the salad. But yeah. it's all the same thing. It's a, but you can get a quesadilla there. You can get like a soup. Mm-hmm. They had a shrimp option the other night mm. beyond just the meat and chicken stuff. And I will say I felt like the Qdoba meat portions were slightly smaller than the Chipotle meat portions. But I don't know. There's also a place called Moe's. Moe's is trash. Wow. That got hot fast because <laughs> they name some of their meals after like Seinfeld jokes and stuff, right? They have like a, make them taste any like a yada, yada, yada taco or something. I don't know. There's one by Ohio State's campus. I won't go to Moe's sometimes. I've been to Moe's one time. It was awful. Really? Yeah. But I think they have, do they, have a, they have a salsa bar, which I'm pro salsa bar. Yeah. What did you not like about it? I just, I just thought it, I thought the the quality of the food was subpar compared to Chipotle. Um, and I feel like I feel like I had their queso, and I thought their queso was bad. I don't quite remember. It was like three years ago, and I've never gone back. Here's the thing that I think is possible. I just named off. I also things. don't like that they yell at you when you walk in. Oh, they one of those things. Yeah, you walk in and like walk in the Moe's. It's like I know where I am. Oh yeah, I walked in here. Yeah, your guys are of that. That's a big thing. You guys of that generation who's like, I don't want customer service. I no, just want to exist. A, but yelling at me is not customer service. <laughs> Hello, sir. Welcome to Moe's. Have you had a yada 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 burrito? I very much appreciate customers customer service, and I try to be as polite as possible, even when other people might not be that way, depending on what the service is. I, I always. Um, err on the side of being overly polite because I understand that that cannot is not always the best job to have in the world. So, you've, you've been there. Right. I've been there. But that said, Moses Trash. <laughs> Here's, I do think we are live, we live in a world where specialization can, abs- can certainly be a thing for a restaurant like the whole like uh, um, five guys or in and out burger kind of thing where it's like, listen, it's burger and fries. If you want something else, leave. Mm-hmm. Canes just has chicken fingers. Yep. I am dying for Canes to someday have a chicken finger salad. All I want them to do is buy giant bags of lettuce and give me the option to get the chicken fingers on a pile of lettuce rather than with the fries. And they won't do it! You know who has a salad? Who? Zaxby's. And you know who is uh, superior in every way to Canes? Zaxby's. Zaxby's just got a deal to be the official uh, chicken finger of like a bowl game or something, I thought. I feel like Zaxby's. There's a Zaxby's uh, Heart of Dallas Bowl, I think. Yeah. Zaxby's is good. I think Zaxby's is coming for you, Canes. I think Zaxby's is creeping. They're in the South, but I think they're creeping. It's weird there's not one here. I've been like three or four, and I think they were in Texas and Georgia, but I, I think that it is far better than Canes. You can get like the buffalo sauce on the wings, on the fingers there if you want. Yeah, they have they have the fingers. You can get fingers just like you can get at the canes, but then they have wings, they have the salads, I think they have sandwiches. I think their fries are better. Um, the sauce is essentially the same. I think the toast is a little better. Just better across the board. Wow. Coming hot. Sorry, canes. So I did like Qdoba, but I do think Chipotle, for whatever reason, has found its niche in the zeitgeist of we are the burrito place. And when Cardell Jones thinks burrito, he thinks one burrito in the world, mm-hmm. Chipotle. And he's not thinking quesadilla. He's not thinking soup. He's not thinking shrimp. He's thinking, I'm going to get meat rolled in a tortilla, and there's only one place I'm going. But I, I feel for you, Qdoba. I don't have any Qdoba hot takes. Cause I, I, I've had it, and I, I've enjoyed it, but I haven't had it enough to really compare it to Chipotle. Yeah. But I'm team Chipotle. I like quesadillas. I had a quesadilla that had pork 
beef and chicken in it at the Old Mohawk in Columbus the other day that was very good. Mm. They have a quesadilla section on their menu. I would recommend that. I discovered it like after living here for 15 years, and it's like been there for 100 years, and like everybody who lives in Columbus knows about it, but I like to think that I discovered it. All right, we're going to get to the last JT Barrett over, under. Again, we're going to do JT Barrett week next week at cleveland.com. We'll have a JT Barrett podcast. I think we'll also, I think we'll have two podcasts next week. Does that make sense, Landis? JT Barrett podcast and our season predictions podcast? Yeah. Yeah, I think so. Because we don't want to wait on the season predictions to the week after when it's game week and it's a short week for Thursday. So uh, get your streams ready. We'll have two podcasts next week. Um, But we're going to do a quick little, another JT Barrett taste. We're going to have two this week? We're going to have two I think we are going to have two this week. We might be doing a basketball one right now that's going to be coming up too. Yeah, we're going to do it. So there'll be a basketball one following like the day after this football one because we want to talk a little basketball hoops and and we know some of you guys don't like when we mix it. Mm -hmm. Okay, last one, JT Barrett passing yards. (sighs) And I thought to make it as simple as do you think he'll have more passing yards than he had in 2014, which was 2,834, third all-time at Ohio State for single-season passing yards. Should we go higher? Should we set the bar higher for JT this year than it was in 2014? Well, that was in 12, like 11 and a half games, right? Because he got hurt against Michigan. 11 and, yeah, basically 11 and a half. 11 and and three quarters. Mid-third quarter or whatever. And he didn't get to play in the playoff. Um, So he missed three games. So, again, I think we could set it higher. I would go over that number. I would go over that number. I think I would too, but I don't. I don't know if I'd go over three thousand. That set it at three thousand. Then okay. Uh, I'm under. I think I'm under. I think I'm over. No, I know I'm over. I'm under. And we did a video. Someone asked us a question very similar to this. Do you think Ohio State will have more passing yards or more rushing yards this season? And I, I think it's possible that. There are some fans and maybe even some media members and um, who are viewing the addition of Kevin Wilson kind of in the wrong light in the sense that Ohio State is not suddenly going to become a team that chucks it around the yard and throws for 300 yards every game. There will be those games. I'm sure JT will have a couple 300-yard games. He might even have a 400-yard game against uh, some of the lesser competition. Um, they're going to run the ball. They're going to run it a lot. For all We talked about all the running options they have, and Kevin Wilson – for as innovative as he's been, I think, is an offensive line coach at heart. He loves pounding the ball. Urban Meyer is the same way. Um, and when you have all the running options they have, and JT Barrett, Mike Weber, J.K. Dobbins, all those guys you talked about, um, I still think that that is going to be enough to take away from JT Barrett throwing for 3,000 yards. doesn't mean JT's going to have a bad season. I think anything resembling 14 is a good season for him. And 2,900 and whatever is more passing yards than he had in 14 but I'm going to say he's under 3,000 because in the end they're still going to run the ball more than they throw it. How many passing yards did he have last year? 2,555. He had 2,555 in an absolutely non-functional passing attack. Mm -hmm. When they could not run routes and get open, they could not catch it, they could not pass block, and they could not call passing plays as a coaching staff. Mm Mm-hmm. And JT Barrett refused to let the ball out of his hand unless a guy was open by five yards. Like, will he have 500 yards more than that? Yeah. 
I'm over 3,000 like, with sparkles on. 14 games, 3,000 yards is 214 yards per game. Do you buy the thing that he said the other day and that I wrote about he's going to risk it more this year and not be afraid to let it go and not he's going to be willing to throw to covered receivers and throw contested balls? I don't know if I buy it. Oh, you're calling out JT. I mean, it's the right thing to say, and we've talked about it a lot. Like we're all, we're on board with that. We think he should do that. I think it's a tough change to make, man. Once you're out there on the field, and there are consequences, I think it's a tough habit to break, especially when you're as good of a runner as JT is. Um, I think you might see him do it. You know, they're up three touchdowns against whoever early in the year. They're up three touchdowns on Rutgers in the second quarter. And Terry McLaurin's kind of covered, and JT might let it rip because that doesn't really matter. Tied game against Oklahoma in the fourth quarter? I don't know. And we, we have talked about in the past that he is, when he's in those two-minute moments and he has no other choice but to let it rip, he does let it rip. I don't know if he can get there consistently. I think in the, there's something in the back of his head that just is going to tell him to run it or check it down or do anything other than put the ball in a position to get intercepted. I think it's possible that everything about screwy quarterback play that you saw the past two years boils down to one thing. Tim Beck. And one person. And this might be rant number three of this podcast, and I'll happily go out with another Tim Beck rant. That is on the table for me. That like, oh, wow, he's back. He's fine. He's confident. He's letting it rip. He's looking like 2014 JT. He's looking like Tom Herman JT. That's on the table for me. What changed? I think it is too. What changed? What's the one thing in that quarterback room that changed? The wallpaper. The man at the front of the room. All right. Yeah, but what, what's going to happen when Texas throws for 3,000 yards? They're not. They're no. not. Oh, Tom Herman's there. <laughs> yeah, I don't know. I might just. I might have a no. I was, I was like. I was going to say. I might be unfair about that, but I'm. I'm not. You should that. do a Tim Beck tracker this year. Yeah. Just watch every. Just watch every snap of Texas's quarterbacks, and see how how, how many times their quarterbacks like triple pump. Watch like what's this? Shame you shell. Like watch them last year, and then watch them this year, <laughs> and then see the Tim Beck effect. Yeah, he's been backed. <laughs> um, also, by the way, and one since we're talking about things that are like mainstays of the podcast. So uh, ESPN came out with their new top 300 for the 2019 rankings the other day. Ooh. Did you see that? I didn't look at them yet, no. Yeah. Should be a good post for you. Yeah. The uh, Nestor, I was looking because that Doug Nestor is like, I don't know what he Oh, yeah, I did look. He was, on the he was list. like in the 40s, yeah. You know, like the top three guys, like whatever, in the top 10, there's like only three guys who are committed so far. You know where they're all committed to? Uh, Georgia? Georgia. Now, I didn't look to see if they were from Georgia, but we'll get back to that later. It's, is yeah. it possible that we have spurred Georgia recruiting to actually recruit players in one of the most talented states in the nation? I mean, Chris Hinton is a five-star defensive end from Georgia who I think is the number one or two player in the state, and he just committed to Michigan. Why so. you got to be like that? I'm trying to throw curb a bone, man. He doesn't deserve it. He's Bill Landis. I'm Doug Maurice. You guys can read us at cleveland.com. You can subscribe to Buckeye Talk on iTunes. You can also subscribe at the following places. <laughs> Stitcher, SoundCloud, 
Google Play, tune in. JT Barrett podcast next week. Season preview, picks, predictions podcast next week. Ohio State basketball recruiting coming later this week. But that was your over-unders for the season. Look for these over-unders on Cleveland.com. Go and vote. Register your vote so we can see at the end of the year. We'll see what we said was over, what we said was under, what you, the readers and listeners, voted over-under. So thanks to you guys. Um, Again, a lot of stuff still coming with interviews and stuff at Ohio State for the rest of uh, preseason camp. But for now, he's Bill Landis. I'm Doug Maurice, And that was Buckeye Talk.